Okay, so we're at the the final stretch of chapter four. Um, okay, so we're on page sixteen in the red book. If you have the red one, and it's on the right side towards the bottom, twenty ninth of Kislev, with an asterisk. You know why the asterisk is there? Huh? Asterisk. Okay, I said asterisk. it wrong. The, the English teacher is already correcting me. Asterisk. <laughs> The little star, the little star. <laughs> um, yes, the reason is because there are some years that the month of Kislev sometimes is 30 days and sometimes it's 29 days. So if it's a year that it's only 29 days, what it's telling you is make sure to do 29 and 30 of Kislev on the 29th of Kislev and then you'll be up to the first of Tavis later on. But anyway, um, all right, let's get back to the, the, the point of the class, which is to learn chapter 4. So what, what do we know so far from chapter 4? In general, chapter 3 and 4 are dealing with the makeup, the biology, uh, the anatomy. What's the difference? I'm not sure. But the anatomy of, uh, of, the, of the soul, specifically the divine soul. So we explained in chapters 1 and 2 that we have two souls. We have the animating soul and we have the divine soul. In chapter three, and is in chapter three and three and four, we start to learn about what are these souls made up of? What 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 are they? So uh, three and four talk about the soul. Five is going to talk about Torah, which is a very fascinating chapter for itself. And in chapter six and seven, and eight, I believe, we learn about the animating soul. So this is we're going through a process of getting to know who we are. Um. So this, so here we're exclusively speaking about the divine soul. The divine soul, the only capacity it has is to function in the knowledge of God, the love of God, fear of God, and the thought, speech, and action of Torah and mitzvahs. The divine soul does not engage itself in anything that is not exclusively divine. Okay? So if you're doing something that has no divine connection, you know for a fact that your divine soul is not involved. At least intentionally. And, you know, it's, it's not That's functioning what, that way. I was going to ask you that. Say intentionally, you could say, oh, I'm having a meal. If I think about that, I'm going to read a Torah book afterwards or something. And I'm using that energy for that. So That's a good question. In other words, when you eat a meal... And while you're eating the meal, you're thinking about doing a mitzvah. The reason why you're eating the meal, in order that you should have the strength to do a mitzvah. Does that mean that your divine soul is engaged in eating the meal? But you so, have to say the blessing first. So that's for sure. That's even so if you don't have that in mind. Huh? If you don't have that in mind, and you don't say a blessing, then you're doing a sin when you're eating. Yeah, but when you say a blessing, you already got your... Eh, uh, not, so divine, nah, nah, not so simple. Nah, not so simple. I'm not going to give you... In other words, like this. On the one hand, they'll say, yeah... If you said a blessing, that's great, that's wonderful, and, and not, not so simple. you don't get involved, your, your, your divine soul? Your divine soul is not really Your divine soul is definitely involved in the blessing. If it's involved in chewing the food, I'm not so, I don't know, I don't know, it's a good question. It's a good question. Depends on, when you're eating on Shabbos, your divine soul is involved. Shabbos is special. When you're eating a mitzvah meal, your divine soul is involved. We got totally off topic, but I'll just tell you this. There was a Hasid, a, a Hasidic Jew who lived uh, 200 years ago, 150 years ago. His name was, um, actually I forgot if it's the father or the son, irrelevant. The point is that there's something called a mitzvah meal. 
right? What's a mitzvah meal? Let's say a bris, having a meal by a bris or by a wedding or by a pidyan, a ben. You know, these are mitzvah meals. Another opportunity for a mitzvah meal is if you make a siyum, a conclusion on a tractate in the Talmud. Fine. If you conclude a tractate of the Talmud, so then the, the meal that you have in connection with that celebration is a mitzvah meal. So this chassid, this is not for everyone. This chassid, he would he would learn that there are there, there are tractates in the Talmud, long tractates, and then there is a certain area that has very short tractates on different topics. He would learn one of the short tractates every single time he would have a meal. He would learn one of the short tractates beforehand, so that the meal that he was eating was a mitzvah meal. Right? It's not for everybody, but but once you're going to learn chassidus, you're going to learn how the Tanya sets down the parameters of what is good and what is bad, what is divine, what is uh, you know not divine, etc. You can start to appreciate what, what was he trying to accomplish here. And you see that he was trying to accomplish something very important and very profound. He wanted to be engaged with his divine soul all the time, even when he's eating. Right? So, in chapter chapter 3, we learned that the divine soul is comprised, and as the essence of the soul is comprised of intelligence and emotions. That's the consciousness of the divine soul, of every soul. Because every soul is an energy, is a consciousness, which has intelligence and emotions. You know things, you understand things, you reflect on those things, and then you have feelings for them, either feelings of closeness, love, or feelings of fear, right? you, you, want, you want to separate yourself from it, you want to go far away from it, um, etc. So that is the, that, so though, that, that's the, I say, the essential anatomy of, of the soul. Then there are the garments of the soul. That's what we learn about in chapter four. What's the deal with a garment? So a garment is not a part of you, right? Your shirt, your pants, they're not part of you. What are they? Through the garments, you are able to interact with the world. Right? That, that, that's what garments are for. So garments have like these two opposite concepts to them. On the one hand, they hide you. That's not really you. On the other hand, only through them can you reveal yourself. Right? Someone tries to reveal themselves without garments, go to jail. That's inappropriate. You don't do that. So that, that's, that's one part of the garment. Another thing about a garment is that a garment, you could always change, right? You could always, you're not stuck to any specific type of garment. So when it comes to garments um, of the soul, so the three garments are thought, speech, and action. In Hebrew, machshava, dibur, maisa. Thought, speech, and action of the soul. That means that these are the three tools through which the soul is able to interact with the world. In other words, the soul, the way it's in heaven, has intelligence and emotions. You don't need a body in order to... In, in, there is the consciousness doesn't need a body in order to think, in, in order to understand, and in order to, in order to have emotions. Intelligence and emotions don't need a body. The soul, but, but in order to think... You need a brain to think. In order to um, f- what? Speak. speak, you need to have a mouth to speak. And in order to be act, you need to have a body to act. Right? A body without a soul. Can it think? No. Can it speak? Also not. Can it act? Also not. Right? 
So here you see that when the soul and the body come together, the three most important... It's getting cold, huh? Okay. But I'm always cold with All right, we're getting, we're getting ready for the 37 degrees tomorrow. Yeah, right. So, um, so when the soul comes into the body, what happens here? What's unique about this relationship is that now the three levushim, the three garments, become activated, right? There's thought, there's speech, there's action. When we're speaking about the divine soul, the nefesh alikis, the divine soul, what type of thoughts, speech, and action happen when the divine soul is, in, is, is enclosed in the body? In other words, what type of thoughts, speech, and action can be attributed to the divine soul? And the answer is thinking Torah, speaking Torah, and behave, acting in the 613 mitzvahs. That's it. That, that is what the divine soul does through the body. Okay? Now, what are... So, this last part of the, of, of the chapter is going to actually give us a total switch in our head. Um... And, and, and explain the, the profound difference between Judaism and every other religion. I don't know, every other, Christianity, right? What does Christianity uh, promote? What do they promote? That this world, just, just hold your horses and make sure that in the next world, you're gonna have your ticket to, to paradise, right? In other words, while you're in this world, just make sure you believe, you believe, you believe, you believe. You'll go there, okay, then you're safe. Right? It's a very Christian way of thinking. Unfortunately, this type of thinking also permeated a lot of Jewish um, attitudes to life. And that is, that in this world, this is the high-risk situation. It's a high-risk highway. I'm trembling and shivering that I shouldn't mess up while I'm here. And as long as I can get to the finish line without messing up, all right, now we're good. Once we go into Gan Eden, then we're safe, can't mess up anymore, and that's that. That's very wrong. It's, it's a very wrong perspective on Judaism, on life in general, etc. It basically means that God sent us into this world to punish us, to uh, you know, to put us into a very scary situation, gave us a lot of rules and regulations, um, put us into the line of fire. Anything that we touch wrong is going to zap us. And, uh, what's the point? Why would you do that? So the Alter Rebbe starts to explain what is Torah and Mitzvahs. What is it? As we learned last time, Torah mitzvahs is the wisdom of God and the will of God. That God compressed himself into the Torah, into the actual words and letters of the 24 books of Tanakh. He is there. And he is also compressed into the mitzvahs. So that when a person takes a box of tefillin and wraps it around their arm, they're touching God. When a Jew takes the four species on Sukkot, the Lulav and the Esrik, the Hadas and Arav, and puts it together, he's touching God. He's engaging with God. When a person learns Torah, when a person just takes out a Chumash and starts to read the words, what is he reading? God. What is he or she thinking? God. Fascinating. So, since, oh, and okay, so, so this, these are the things we're able to think, speak, and act. Now, 
all of these things need to have an engine. They need to be motivated, right? You have to be motivated to think this, to, to speak this, to do this. What motivates you to do it? Your, your intelligence and your emotions, this that you understand God and that you have a passion for God, that's what motivates you, right? So it's not like there's the soul that has intelligence and emotions, and it also has three garments. When it cut and and it could engage in the garments without without the soul itself being involved. No, the soul itself is also involved in that. So when a person does a mitzvah, it's not just the garment of action being involved in doing the mitzvah. My intelligence and emotions are motivating me to do the mitzvah, so they are involved in the mitzvah itself. Right. So now let's continue on page sixteen, on the right side on the bottom. Thus, since the Torah and its commandments clothe all ten faculties of the soul with all its 613 organs from head to foot, so it, the soul, is altogether truly bound up in the bundle of life with God. And the very light of God envelops and clothes it from head to foot. As it is written, God is my rock, I will take refuge in him. And it is also written, you will envelop him with favor, as with a shield, that is to say, with his will and wisdom, blessed be he, which are clothed in his Torah and its commandments. You want to be surrounded by God? You want to be enveloped by God? You want to be inside God? Do a mitzvah. Because when you're doing a mitzvah, what are you doing? You're engaging in God. You say, how is it possible for God to be in an esrig? Well, that he said a little bit earlier. He says that that's why Torah is considered like water. Because just like water naturally flows downwards, so too God, His wisdom of the Torah, etc., comes downwards. Um, and He gives it, it has progressively descended through hidden stages, stage after stage, with a descent of the world. There's a lot of words that we have to understand what they mean. But the point is that God chose to bring himself down, and enclose himself, enclose himself in, a, in an esrig. When you take an esrig, and not make jelly out of it, when you take an esrig on the 15th day of Tishrei, and you take it together with a lulav, and a hadas, and a arava, and you make the bracha, oh, so now you're becoming one with Hashem. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. The same that we put a tefillin every day. Tefillin every day, not on Shabbos. No. Right? And they're giving tzedakah. Right, giving tzedakah is a mitzvah, or uh, I don't know, take any mitzvah. Any time uh, you know that you're doing a mitzvah, if it's one of, if it's a real mitzvah, not if it's a fake mitzvah. Right, you know what fake mitzvahs are? Taking garbage out of the water or something. Does it say that in the Torah? You should take garbage out of the water. Oh, okay, so it's not a mitzvah. It's a nice thing to do, but don't give it the word mitzvah. Mitzvah, you you know. <laughs> The world is a very funny place. You know how people say, oh, I hope I don't insult you, I don't insult you, yeah? <laughs> I hope I don't insult you, I, I don't know what Hanukkah is, I don't know what this is. I get insulted when people use the term mitzvah for something that's not a mitzvah. Why do I get insulted? I don't care, say whatever you want. Mitzvah doesn't mean good deed. Mitzvah doesn't mean good deed. Mitzvah means connection, a connector. Imagine you go to an electrician and you show them a, a yarn, and say, hey, isn't this a wire? 
What's other kedushas I'm going to tell you? No. What do you mean? I identified it as a wire. I'm calling it a wire. This should be a wire. Put this in your toolbox. You're like, what? Get out of here. What is this? That's an insult to the world of electricity. A string of yarn is not a wire. Next. It doesn't hold energy. It doesn't work. Anyway, that was just a, a side point. So, getting back to this idea here. Through doing a mitzvah, it's not just you're doing an action and that's that. Your entire consciousness, your entire self is enveloped in God now. Which is amazing. You know, on the bottom of a, of a, of a, of a, a gravestone, traditionally we have uh, five letters. Tav, Nun, Tzadik, Beis, Hei. Which means, which is a, it means May their soul be bound up in the bond of life. The soul went up to heaven, so it's bound up in the bond of life. Over here, Al Rebbe says, you want to be bound up in the bond of life, do a mitzvah. When you're doing a mitzvah, you're bound up. Every single part of you is bound up in the bond of life. When the soul goes to heaven, boom, it's bound up in the bond of life. When the soul is down here, how many opportunities does the soul have to be bound up in the bond of life? Depends on you. Multiple. I mean, it depends on me. The no, opportunities are there. You can do it more. Exactly. But opportunities are there. Yeah. The opportunities are, they abound. They abound unbelievably. And that's why, let's continue here. Hence, it has been said, better is one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than the whole life of the world to come. <clears throat> some people would be like I don't understand what do you mean the world to come isn't that the whole point of life isn't that the whole point of existing isn't that the safest place to be but no the Mishnah says differently the Mishnah says it's better to have one hour in this world with good deeds and with repentance than the entire world to come what is that supposed to mean so it's not just about the fact that I just said that you know, you go you go to heaven, you're bound up, that's one time and that's it. And here you have so many opportunities. It's not just about quanti- quantitatively. It's not just about quantity. It's also about quality. And here the Al-Tareb is going to say something that is a bombshell. It says, when you go to heaven, what's happening there? What's happening in heaven? What's happening with the soul in heaven? What's the, how do you say, what's the pleasure of the soul? Oh. Oh, so, so what happens is when the soul goes to heaven, it receives pleasure from, from basking in the truth of God. That, that's, that's the idea here. In other words, trying to find a good way of describing this idea. Imagine you had like a theory in your head. Theory, a theory. And finally you bump into a video on YouTube that's actually, you know, confirming every theory you had. How good does that feel? How addictive does that become, right? <laughs> anyway, so so here, the soul knows that there is a God, right? The soul loves God, understands God, etc. But here in this world, there's a tremendous frustration. God is just not, you know, it's not visible and is not tangible and, and just not relatable for most of the, for all intents and purposes. But when, when the soul goes back up to heaven, it's basking in the light of God, in the, in the, in the truth of God. So that's wonderful and beautiful. What's the problem? The soul is is back. You know, the soul is appreciating the truth of God. 
On whose terms? On the soul's terms. Everything that you understand, everything that you appreciate, everything that you relate to, it's all on your terms. What's the problem with a soul basking in the light of God on its terms? The soul has an inherent handicap, and that is that it is a created being. It's not physical, it's not tangible, but it's a created being. And God is the creator. The created being cannot understand, perceive, and appreciate its creator to the fullest. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. So even when the soul is in heaven, the whole thing, and it's basking in the light of God, and it's having such a it's having the best time in the world, but it's all on its terms. It's not on God's terms. The only reality in which a soul can engage with God on God's terms is in this world. Say that again. The only reality in which a soul has the opportunity to connect and to engage with God, not on its own terms, but on God's terms, is in this physical world. Because God enclosed himself in physical objects, in physical realities, in time and space. That's where God is. Okay, I don't know why I thought it was the opposite. Because when you're up there, you're basking, you have no, you're in God's kingdom. But there's a you, right? There's a you. There's a me. There's there's a created being called the soul right. that's basking in the light, right? Imagine we go to a symphony together, right? We're a symphony. We hear music. Are we all going to walk out over there with the same exact appreciation for the music? Why not? Because we're individuals and we, you know, well, I fell but it's the same music. But isn't that the me down here? See, to me, I, I'm looking at the me. Oh, down very here. good. One second. The me down here. The me down here. How do you connect to God? Not through your understanding or your passion. How do you connect to God? By holding an esrog. Is there a difference between the esrog you're holding and the esrog I'm holding? No. No? But the difference is... Oh, stop. <laughs> Think for a second. No, no, I understand. I'm, yeah. I'm saying, but you have to want to hold that drug. And like, you know, you no, said the no, you don't. No, you don't. No. You know what? We both decided to hold the etric. Our decision to hold the etric, are they exactly the same? No. Are they, no. You have one type of passion, one level of passion, I have a different level of passion. It's all different. Yeah. That's all important. I'm not, I'm not right. disregarding that. But the fact of the matter is, the etric you're holding, and the etric I'm... Uh, granted that they are both kosher esrogim, yeah? But if you're holding a kosher esrogim, and I'm holding a kosher esrogim, is there a difference in the amount of divinity in your esrogim than the one in my esrogim? No. Absolutely not. Why? Because the esrig being an esrig has nothing to do with you and me. Right. God put himself in there. He, he's not done. Hold on. <laughs> Marvin's not done here. No, it's okay. But, but I'm saying you can choose to do the mitzvah is what I'm saying. Of, that's a separate heaven, story. You can't choose to that's do a that. separate story. The choice of whether to do the mitzvah or not, that's your business. Right? Okay. But the mitzvah itself, is that God? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Can you have that God in Gan Eden in the world to come? No. When we say world to come, we're talking about paradise, right? Where, where there's a soul and no body. It's not because you can't do mitzvahs up there. Exactly. There's no Asarikim there. 
You cannot go higher over there. Over there, you just, wherever you are, is it? Angels are jealous of a little kid who's wearing tzitzis. Because angels can't wear tzitzis. Amazing. What, you want to say to me? Well, I was just thinking about giving tzedakah. Yeah. You can help somebody, like, willingly, and you want to help the person you want. But you can have the other person that, you know, he's writing the check like, I really don't want to give the money. They're both giving tzedakah. And they and, have different intentions, right? Or you know, or kavana or whatever, but it's still the same mitzvah. Exactly. Not only that. Now I'll go even further. If a person lost a dollar bill, lost a dollar bill, and he's like, "Oh gosh, where's my buck? Oh man!" And a poor person picks up the dollar bill and buys a coffee, he gets the mitzvah of tzedakah. <laughs> the guy who gave the check begrudgingly, at least he gave. <laughs> this guy was—he <laughs> just lost it. It was it was a shmayanki, whatever you know. It was a shlamazel. He gets the mitzvah too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Pirkei Avot, they have this Yafa Shachat Ba'olam Azeh. That's this. He's quoting Pirkei Avot. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is the Alter Rebbe is quoting Pirkei Avot. Did you ever understand the Pirkei Avot in this way? It's it's very complicated. I mean, it's... what's complicated? It's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> this is very simple, Amit. The way you see it in Pirkei Avot is like, well, how does this work? How does how could you say such a thing? Better to be in this world than this world, which is so volatile and there's so so many risks and so. I'd rather be in Olam Abba, right? Yeah. What's the answer? Olam Abba is a great place, right? Not just it's a safe place; it's a, it's a tremendous place to be in, right? However, there is zero access to God on God's terms. There's access to God on your terms. You understand God. You fine. No problem. But God himself, you want to connect to God himself. The only way is down here. This is the only place. This is the only place it could happen. And how does it happen? Not by meditation. Not through passion. Through action. Or through thinking and speaking words of Torah. Right? Thinking Torah is not meditating. I'm not talking about meditation, like going to the Himalayas and whatever. No, no, no. Having a blank. Right? Doing yoga. We're talking here that the thought, speech, and action that connects to God Himself. Every time that you take out a Jewish book and you're reading the words, you're connecting to God Himself. Even if you don't understand the words necessarily. I mean, in other words, if it's Torah Shabbat, if it's the written Torah, you don't even have to understand the words. Just read. But if it's any other part of Torah and you're reading it in English, in English, if it's Torah, if it's real Torah, you're connecting to God by learning those words. Now, once you take those words and you're going to start to extrapolate and try to understand things and start to meditate, okay, maybe you're veering away from Torah, whatever, you know, good stuff. But as long as you're engaged in, in, in the source, you're connecting to God. And that's only available here. In heaven, they learn Torah. They don't learn words. They're not reading Torah scrolls. That's not what they're doing over there. Over there, they're engaging in intellectual, uh, how do you say, intellectual um, understanding of God, of God's wisdom. No problem. Yeah, but but that God did not enclose himself in that Torah that they're learning in heaven. God put himself in the Torah that we learned down here on earth. That's why we say in the prayers, and you're never going to unsee this anymore, but if you look at the Shmona Esrei, the Amida prayer, 
The very last blessing starts off Sim Shalom, right? You should bestow peace and goodness and blessing. They say like this: Ki for by the light of your countenance, you gave us, Lord our God, the Torah of life. Right? So what does it mean? You, God, gave us the Torah of life. That you know, that's where we're thanking God. Thank you for giving us the Torah. The Altarab at some point in, in Tanya says like this, nah, read it very simple. With the light of your countenance, for by the light of your countenance, you gave us, Lord our God. You gave us you. When God gave us the Torah and gave us the mitzvahs, He gave us Himself. He gave us the opportunity to be one and to be engaged with God Himself. There's only one place where that can happen in this world. Um, yeah, so let's continue in the altar of His words. For the world to come is that state where one enjoys the effulgence of the divine presence. You appreciate the revelation of God, right? It's all good. Which is the pleasure of comprehension. Yet, no created being, even celestial, can comprehend more than some reflection of the divine light. That is why the reference is to the effulgence of the divine presence. Ziv HaShchina. Right, when you're here, do you are you able to touch the sun? Are you able to benefit from the light of the sun? Yeah. yeah. Is there sunlight? Sure. But it's not the sun itself. In heaven, they're benefiting from a ray of God, the light of God, God Himself. You're a created being. You're a garnished. You're nothing. You can't. You can't touch that stuff, right? But as for but. As for the essence of the Holy One, blessed is He, no thought can apprehend Him at all, except when it apprehends and is clothed in the Torah and its mitzvahs. Only then does it truly apprehend and is clothed in the Holy One, blessed is He. Inasmuch as the Torah and the Holy One, blessed is He, are one and the same. Yeah, so because the Torah and God are one, when you engage in Torah, when you do a mitzvah, you're engaging with God himself, you're one with God. But then a person is going to say, really, an esrig? An esrig, that's God. Or when I'm learning Torah and I'm learning that there are these two guys fighting over a handkerchief, uh, a scarf. Fighting over a scarf. Are you guys nuts? And when I'm learning about Reuben and Shimon fighting over a scarf, I'm touching God. These petty little clowns fighting over scarves. For although the Torah has been clothed in lower material things, it is by way of illustration like embracing the king. What happens when you embrace the king? There is no difference in regard to the degree of closeness and attachment to the king, whether while embracing the king, the latter is then wearing one robe or several robes, as long as the royal person is in them. Aha! I want to hug the king. So the king comes out, his shirt and his jacket and his this and his that. He says, okay, give me a hug. Says, no, 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 I want to hug the king. <laughs> I don't want to rug the, uh, hug the robes. You, you idiot. You're not hugging robes when you're embracing the king who's in a bunch of robes. You're embracing the king. You can run on saying, I embrace the king. Yes, 
Well, you have to have DNA samples. That's uh, that's not embracing the king, right? So that's the idea. You're touching us. This is God. This is what. Why shouldn't it be God? God clothed himself at this level, at that level, at that level. Oh, okay. In an asterisk, he clothed himself there. And when you're touching the asterisk, when you're holding the asterisk, you're making the blessing on the asterisk together with the other three kinds, you're hugging the king. This doesn't look like God. True. Doesn't have to look like him, but he's there. Right? Um, likewise, when the king, for his part, embraces one with his arm, even though it is dressed in his robes, as it is written, and his right hand embraces me, which refers to the Torah, which was given by God's right hand, which is the quality of chesed and water. So there's us embracing the king, and then there's the king embracing us. Yeah, what's the difference? I mean, basically we're going to realize that when we do a mitzvah, we are hugging God. When we learn Torah, God is also hugging us. We'll learn more about that in chapter 5. But the idea is, once you realize and understand that there's an address to God, so at that point, realize that every time you're doing a mitzvah, you're embracing God, you're touching God, you're one with God, etc. Even though, sure doesn't look like God, sure doesn't sound like God, sure, yeah, because God, huh? He's hugging us, but he has a lot of clothing, a lot of things, etc. And no, you're not, tu- you're not touching the, you know, no. But even though he has so many robes and so many clothing, he's there, right? So then you're hugging him, then you're one with him. And that, that's what Teremitzvah is all about. And that's why, that's why the divine soul is actually specifically wants to be here. It, want, it wants to be here. It's very challenging to be here. It's complicated. Now, there's a story told that there was once a soul on the way down to be born, and there was another soul on the way up. right? And they meet halfway. So this guy is a young, ambitious soul coming down to the world. And this one is already, you know, he's coming back up. So he says, he says like this. They meet in the middle. He said, uh, tell me, what, what's going on down there? He says, ah, down there, there's a lot of opportunities, really. He says, for example, you could wear tzitzis. Ah, ooh, how much is tzitzis? Eh, $35, $40, you can get tzitzis. No, what else is down there? Ah, during sukkahs, esrik. What's an esrik? Ah, it depends. I mean, you can get one for 20 bucks. You can get one for $500. And he's going on, he's describing all the mitzvahs and saying, you know, how much they cost. So he says, oh, so it's a good life. So the, the experienced soul says, until you have the money to pay for all the mitzvahs, the neshama is already going out of your body. <laughs> you already want to die. What was he basically saying? You're right, you're right. You know, this world is so much opportunity, etc. But there's also so much challenge that's thrown in your way that you don't take it for granted, right? You're going you're gonna to have to work. You're going to have to make, as uh, uh, Marvin said, you have to make a choice to do it. And that's true. That's true. But the one thing we do need to know before we start figuring out how to make the choices and how to make the right choices, etc., we have to know the playing field. We have to know what's happening here. We have to know where we are. If you live your life thinking that living Jewishly is all about making it to the finish line and making having a good place in the world to come, so then you are not going to... In other words, like this. If the whole point of living in this world and doing Torah mitzvahs is in order that I should make it to the finish line, so then I just want to take care of myself. I want to take care of myself and make sure that I make it to the finish line, no one bothers me. 
But if the mitzvahs that I'm doing here in this world and the Torah, etc., this is my opportunity to, to connect to God, right? At that point, I don't want to be the only one connecting to God. Let's get everyone to connect to God. Now we can understand and appreciate why we would be so desperate to get a Jew to put on tefillin even once. If it's all about the place in the world to come, you say, what is one, one, I mean, actually, one time wearing tefillin does help you in the world to come, but what does one time a Jew eating kosher or eating a Shabbos meal help him in the world to come? Only one Shabbos meal his entire life. What does he gain? The answer is, that's not the point. Because in this world, he was able to engage in a Shabbos meal, hear Kiddush and make Hamaitzi and have a Shabbos meal, he's connecting to God. What a tremendous opportunity. And if I invite him once and he says no, am I going to stop inviting them? I'm giving them an option to get involved in such a treasure. But I have to, I have to know this. I have to know that this is what's at stake. It's not so much the destination as the, as the journey. The journey so is the, the destination. Journey. No, but I mean, like when God tells in Lechlecha, like, leave your, leave and go. He doesn't really tell him where. He's right. Like, go. So it's not where you're going to go as much as the journey. Very good. Yep. And the journey itself, that's where God is. Yeah. God is in the journey of this world. Specifically in the physicality of it. And that, and when it comes to physicality, everyone could do the same thing. Right? As long as they have the right physical stuff. So when I find the Jew on Sukkot and I offer them a little of an ashrag, and he doesn't even know what it is. I just hold this. Let's say a blessing. And he does. He's connecting to the same God that I'm connecting to when I'm in the same way. What if he's a man or a lady? She don't have this mitzvah to do it. So she has other mitzvahs. Huh? She has other mitzvahs. <coughs> First no, of all, a woman could do She has a mitzvah. She, she could. She could choose to do the mitzvah. Why not? Hmm? You want to go into the Allahi questions if a woman is obligated to do the no, mitzvah? No, if somebody they don't point. really have to do the mitzvah, no. if he still gets the benefit of... It depends. Not... It depends. For that, we have a Torah and we have instructions. It's not, it's not a simple thing. It's yeah. not simple, right? You can't just go and pick and choose mitzvahs. You can't just say, oh, let's do these. You know, if I take a little of an today and I say, oh, let's do a mitzvah. Let's, uh, it's not a mitzvah. It's not the right day. What are you doing? <coughs> yeah. In other words, God is also very picky, by the way. Yeah, very, because very you say if you do it, even if you don't know what you're doing, you still... If you're doing it right and you don't know what you're doing, you still do the mitzvah. But if you're not doing it right, you're not doing the mitzvah. You still have a connection right, You're still God. engaging, is what you're saying. You don't have the mindset, if you're doing engaging, it right, if you're doing, doing it right. right. right, right. So, the only way to know if you're doing it right is if you're in touch with someone that knows what's right and what's wrong. You have to be in touch with that knowledge of the Torah, 100%. It's not a question. So, Rabbi, is there actually a mitzvah when we're talking about, you know, you're not out for yourself <coughs> or a group or a group of people, Jewish people. So, I guess, it, is it a mitzvah just like when you say, oh, I'm going to go put tefillin on this guy today? Is that a mitzvah? Um, of course. It's a mitzvah. I mean, it's a... Every Jew has an obligation to make sure every Jew does mitzvahs. It's called Arevi Mizamazah. Every Jew is, obli- is, is a guarantor for everyone. For so that's everyone. one of the 613... I mean, that's what I'm asking. Um, it's, a, it's, it's not one of the 613. It is a... Uh, one of the before the Jewish people went into Israel. So God made a covenant between all of them. Everyone is obligated with each other's mitzvahs. 
You have an obligation to make sure I do my mitzvahs. You know that. You, you have you have a you have a religious obligation to make sure that I put on tefillin every day. It's called arvus. Arvus means that you're everyone is a guarantor for each other. So no, no, what the other. Remember that word that had the eleven dots? Yeah. And we were talking about it. It's like before the people went into Israel, they were only responsible for themselves. But once they went into Israel, it's it's a one. It's like the whole. Motion and I were talking about it the other day because I was re- I, I was reading. I was going to ask you about it, and I asked. I don't know how we got on the conversation, but Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. I thought I'm praying, but I'm not praying. It's not a prayer to God. It's not like a Baruch Atah Hashem. It's Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And I thought, oh, that's when Jacob lifted his feet and he talked to all his sons. And they said, hear, hear O Israel, hear. we got it. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So it makes me think, and M- Moshe said, that it's kind of what you're saying, that hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, let's not forget the Lord is like, we're all in it together. Like that's Or maybe it's hear, O Israel, Rabid, Mr. Marvin, you're also Israel. You're also no. a Jew, right? It's a so, meditation to yourself. So is that what it is? Or Shema, Shema Yisrael is a meditation. It's not okay. a prayer. It's, it's not officially a tefillah. It's not a prayer. I mean, it's you're not, not saying it to God. No. no. Hero Israel, the Lord is our... We're saying... It's a meditation. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a declaration. Yeah. It's a declaration, which is a meditation. It's also a prayer, by the way. <laughs> One day... We're also saying is Hashem Alekeinu. Today, God is our God. One day, God is going to be the God of everyone. Echot. So you can, you can take the Shema and you can uh, take it a bunch of different ways. Sure. Yeah. Alrighty, so what's the takeaway from chapter 4? We are in the best place. Being here in this world, being alive, is the most important thing. I'll just end off with one... With one uh, there was a Hasidic Jew who was... Uh, you know, he was a tremendous chassid, etc. And he would uh, work on himself that he shouldn't benefit have any pleasure from this world. So he, he never slept on a bed. He slept on a bench. He slept on a bench. If you sleep on a bench for 20 years, uh, you know, it does something to you. It's, uh, at one point he became very, very ill to the point that he wasn't even able to put on tefillin. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, just his body was not able to do it. And he commented and he said... Sleeping twenty years now, sleeping twenty years on a bench brings you to a certain level of of uh, appreciation in God and divine, I say divine sensitivity, etc. So he said, better to be alive one more day to put on tefillin than to have the twenty years of this divine service and have this divine sensitivity. That's he was basically saying it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it because it's better to put on tefillin one more day of life. So another Hasidic Jew that heard that he said. To have that appreciation, you need to sleep on a bench for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> to realize how precious one uh, one uh, wrapping tefillin is. But anyway, it's a cast 22. The point is, I'm not telling everyone to sleep on benches. But make sure that everything we do is mitzvah-oriented because that's the way that we actually connect to God himself. Alrighty, and with that, we will conclude today's class. And uh, join us next week. Thank you, Rabbi.